The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hi, everyone. We are live. Thank you so much for waiting. A little bit of tech issues. Kate Rooney, I am thrilled that you get to join me this week. How are you? I'm great. It's good to be here. <laughs> we, we had an actual you. tech check before. An actual tech questions. check. Um, and I should say, we do have the comments on, so please, um, those of you who are watching, thanks for waiting. Um, feel free to comment, ask questions, keep it clean in the chat, right, Kate? <laughs> we got some <laughs> early comments. Okay, so let's let's jump into it. I mean, we wanted to do this this week um, because we've seen some action in Bitcoin, but the year as a whole has actually been notable because we haven't seen the kind of action that we have seen in recent years. Um, what do we make of it all? And, you know, it's worth noting that even though we dip below 40K, it's been a lot less volatile than, say, the NASDAQ. Yeah, that's true. And uh, happy one year anniversary, by the way. Thank tech you. Check. <laughs> uh, well, so if you look at, I guess, Bitcoin prices, we'll use that as our peg is the, the launch of tech check. Um, so one of the things that has been lacking in, in crypto markets and in Bitcoin in particular has been new retail interest. So since January, at least, um, if you look at the addition of new wallets, it's been pretty stagnant. So it's been pretty stable. And one of the things and um, hallmarks, they call it, of, of a, a bull market is really new retail interest. That has not come in at the pace that it has in previous bull markets. So that's one thing that analysts say, sort of holding Bitcoin back from this next leg of a bull run. So that's one of the things that people watch and say, yeah, the, the price has been a lot more stable and in a, a good sense. You know, it hasn't been as volatile yeah. for uh, people that worry about that. If you look at tech stocks, I mean, Meta on its earnings day was up and down by 20%. So Bitcoin is really not seeing that level of volatility. The options market has really grown this year. And that tends to be options and futures really tends to be where That's a lot of say, action Kate, is. Is that a sign of maturity in the market that you're not seeing the underlying spot asset be as volatile, but you are seeing a lot of options? and you know being traded so is that yeah. sort of like the next layer if you think that this is sort of even the future of finance right absolutely well it is a sign of yeah the maturation of crypto markets and the idea that people would rather bet on the direction of bitcoin than bet on the asset itself so it's if you're a trader bitcoin right now is not the most exciting thing to trade because <laughs> it's not moving but as a, a store of value it's actually it is sort of working out because it's not as volatile as it has been so on the trading side of things if you're looking for alpha, they call it, if you're looking for an upside or an edge, you've got to move to the options or futures side of Bitcoin if you're trading Bitcoin right. at all, because you're not going to get much uh, on just buying and holding spot Bitcoin. And so you know what's so, it's so amazing as we head into the next earnings season, Kate, you and I cover a lot of public companies <laughs> also. And last quarter, right, we saw these big tech companies move like meme stocks or like cryptos, right? Amazing to see these kinds of after hours moves from the likes of Microsoft and Amazon and some of the others. So 
I, like, where does this leave kind of this crypto skeptics who say that Bitcoin is always going to be volatile? And then we'll get to the other cryptocurrencies, right? Because that is certainly taken up a lot of the air for that volatility and the price movements. Yeah, well, the Bitcoin believers um, saw that it was funny, like when that was happening and when the big tech stocks were moving as dramatically as they were, that was sort of a moment for them <laughs> to also point the finger and say, wait a minute, you guys talk about the volatility in Bitcoin. You're seeing the same thing in right. some of the biggest companies on the S&P. So I think that was sort of a, a moment for for Bitcoin believers to uh, to point that out. So uh, I think they were having some fun uh, with that. And yeah, it was really, I, I think it was an interesting juxtaposition that Bitcoin hasn't seen the level of volatility. Uh, yeah. It's been, you know, not flat, but it's just been range bound since, since January. It hasn't moved uh, significantly, you know, on, on the up or downside. It's sort of been in that mid $40,000 range for the last few months here. And so if you think, and if bulls think that Bitcoin is sort of like the gold of the crypto markets, that sort of is living up to its title if it's not being volatile. And even more so, I know we're going to talk about the stable coin, right, that is actually using Bitcoin to back it. That is also another sign of, well, actually, let me ask you, is this a sign of maturation? Because some people think that this is absolutely ludicrous and defeats the purpose of a stable coin to be stable. But as we've been talking about, Bitcoin has been pretty stable. It's not US dollar stable, but more stable. Right, stable and less volatile. So it's interesting. I, I talked to Do Kwan yesterday about, so just to step back and, and give people a sense of what we're talking about. There's a stable coin as part of the Terra ecosystem. It's called UST. It is a stable coin in the sense that it's, it's pegged to the price of the dollar. But instead of saying, you can redeem the stable coin one for one with either a dollar or basically a dollar equivalent, short-term debt or the things that other stable coins are backed by. It's what they call an algorithmic stable coin. Stable coin. So the only reason that it is one-to-one -one is basically the math behind it. Um, so his argument is that this is the only version, or there's some that are doing it like this, but these algorithmic stable coins are the only ones that are truly decentralized because they're yeah. completely separated from the traditional financial market. So if you if you take that side of things and see it as, okay, this crypto ecosystem is really looking to become a new just financial world in general, why would you want it backed by something like US debt or treasuries and things like that? So in that sense, I think a lot of people in crypto say if, if they're gonna be operating in this decentralized crypto world, you know, why would they want a stable coin that's backed by anything? I think they're they're finding it to be more useful to be, you know, the, the idea that it's backed by Bitcoin. So that's sort of his argument. Um, and then the stability side just comes from the, the fact that it's pegged one to one. But it makes you wonder why any stable coin, if that's the, the yeah. idea, needs to be backed by anything, right? It, it's true. And it's kind of makes the interesting argument. I know we've talked a lot about Tether and it's sort of been called the black swan of the crypto world. If you can't redeem it, everything else could fall apart. But as you say, that relies on things like cash and short-term securities, which we don't necessarily know which ones they are. Right. With the one that's backed by crypto, I mean, is it stable or does it trade one for one? And does it not move from that that narrow band? That How peg, do do yeah. That? So they use, there's a mechanism where they, there's a different cryptocurrency that you can buy and sell. But basically, the easiest way to describe it is that it's an algorithm that keeps it stable. So it's uh it doesn't you don't see that premium as much as you might on tether uh, right. although I, i'm told it's not always completely one-to-one -one, but uh 
you can think of it as just the math behind it is the reason that it's and it functions in the in a similar way, right? And that's what these right. stable coins come down to is allowing um, traders to get in and out of different current crypto. Yeah, and, and his right. argument too. We were talking about tether as well, and the idea that if you had one of these, um, I mean, banks or financial systems that's involved in tether, if one of those failed, first of all, you could have a serious snowball domino effect uh, where that could affect tether, and then the idea that if tether went under it's one of the biggest ways that people get in and out of the crypto markets yeah. especially on binance which is the biggest crypto exchange in the world so he did i mean obviously he's talking his own book he's a, it's a competitor to tether but he seemed to be concerned about the idea that you might see this ripple effect in traditional markets whereas a stable coin that's backed by bitcoin while well, yes it's backed by bitcoin so some people on its face might say "Ooh, that's <laughs> that doesn't seem like the best idea but his argument is that at least it's not overlapping with the traditional financial system. It's something completely new. Right. And his time horizon, he told me, is 100 years. They're thinking about building something. Talk about long term. Like they're not thinking 10 or 20 years. He's thinking this is a completely new financial system that they're building. And goes back, exactly, goes back to sort of how we started this conversation is Bitcoin as a store of value. If it is the gold of the crypto market, you are thinking that 100, you are thinking in terms of 100 years. Why though, Rooney, do you, Kate, call you, I call you Rooney when we're, when we're just chatting. Um, why then has Bitcoin, do you think, settled around this 40,000 mark this year? Why not higher? Why has it come down, you know, significantly from that peak that we saw? So it's year? interesting. And one last thing on, um, on Luna, it is, yeah. it's seen as this, this sign of demand um, and the idea that it really is a whale. So he was telling me they buy a couple hundred million dollars worth every other week. And so a couple of weeks ago, we saw Bitcoin climb to 48,000. And that was one of the big reasons people are saying, oh, there's this new there's this new demand out there. Luna's out there. It actually was more about sentiment and more about the conversation around Luna than mm. actual demand from that right. project. He was saying, too, he's like, we're not buying enough on a, on a weekly basis to to account for the demand you would need to see prices go higher. So actually, it was interesting right. to hear his take on that, that it's more it's still more macro related. So. Bitcoin right now is trading like an exaggerated version of the NASDAQ. So it's all of the macro factors we're seeing that you guys talk about every day on Tech Check, the Fed, interest rates, inflation, that is affecting Bitcoin because people see it as a 24-7 liquid version of the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first thing people might sell if they're saying, okay, we're going to move out of risk is Bitcoin. So that's been one of the big dynamics that we've seen this year. It has seemed to find a bottom around 40,000. So one of the things that actually outperformed relative to some of the smaller cryptocurrencies and analysts I talked to say, it's seen as sort of a relative safe haven within crypto because they yeah. say, oh, you've got you know Tesla, you've got MicroStrategy, you've got El Salvador that will come in and other big, big institutions and buy the dip and 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 have sort of a uh, a bottom there. Or yeah, least, it's, uh, it's, it's a great point. You don't have that with any other cryptocurrency, not even Ether at this point, right? right? So I think that is sort of why it's been actually relatively stable because you have seen people, there are people looking for opportunities to buy. If it, it falls at a certain level, they'll say, okay, well, this may be a good opportunity. The reason, like I said, you know, that's not seeing the upward momentum is just the lack of new buyers. You know, it's it's long-term holders that say, yeah, I'm again, might see this as a 10-year store of value, uh, they're not trading it and it's kind of just sitting there. So it depends on how you look at it, but that's what I'm told the big reason it hasn't seen this right. sustained momentum.
And you, you just brought up a good point is that Bitcoin trades, you know, 24 seven and the NASDAQ <laughs> does not has much fewer, much fewer trading days and yet yeah. has been more volatile. So that is an interesting dynamic playing out. Kate, I know you also just got back uh, from Miami. <laughs> First sure question. Did. Did you go to any good crypto parties? These crypto people, I'm like, how do you guys get any work done? Like, I, so we were uh, we were live for CNBC, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, there were spreadsheets going around, these Google Docs of all these different events going on. <laughs> how does anybody make it to all these events and then make it to the conference the next yeah, day? It's so got to be like, you know, a lot of events that people kind of want to go to. And then one major one. I also right. find that there's so much going on that like it tends to be the type of thing where everybody's trying to find the next good event and then right. you get to the one that everyone's talking about and there was one that we're on the way to go to and they uh, they stopped letting people in. They were, oh, even the VIPs aren't getting in. So I think a lot of, there's 40,000 people in Miami. So I think the word gets <laughs> out that one event is sort of the place you want to be and then they're, yeah. they're at capacity. So I made it out for one night and uh you know, I, I can't keep up with the crypto crowd, but there, I mean, that's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. You were, you were up early too. I mean, I know you were reporting all across the network. You didn't have well, time to stay up till. I know. Oh my gosh. Well, it's funny. The, um, there's so much going on. Yeah. That there is a little bit of a FOMO effect and that there were people that weren't even going to the conference. You'd run into people down there say, Oh, I'm going to be at the convention center tomorrow. Stop by. And they'd be like, Ooh, you know, I don't have a ticket. I'm just here to, to network and to go to these parties. So it does seem to be a big part of the just culture down there, our culture of crypto in general. It's a yeah. young tech forward crowd that like a big part of these conferences is also networking, but that networking might mean staying out until five in the morning. <laughs> Not in so my what, like, what was your big takeaway from, because you've obviously been covering this for a, a long time. And one thing that we talked about before was there was a lot more like finance people there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that is a big one. Uh, I think the intersection of tech and finance that, uh, you know, we've both been to a million of these tech conferences and it does seem to be like, like money 2020. I always think of is that was sort of a tech and finance crowd. It used to really yeah. be fintech where that was the thing. Um, you were seeing, you know, the bankers there, you were seeing sort of the combination. And then the other takeaway uh, was that the discussions tended to be a little more political, if not philosophical. They were sort of big thinking, how do we change the world? How do we change the economy and the global financial system? And that I think, you know, isn't common in a lot of tech conferences. You're thinking about, you're talking about software, you're talking about KPIs. Some of the conversations here were really just deep thinking bigger mm -hmm. and political is maybe not the right way. Cause I think people hear political and think of some of the, the no, but it was political. Kate, yeah. I don't think that's a bridge too far. And, and you look at the history of money. I can't remember who we talked to about this on tech check, but the history of money has been political too. Yeah. It is a system. Yeah. So it was interesting. I think that's sort of new that like people really are taking some of these topics and uh, thinking right back to the, the beginnings of what is money. And um, anyway, so a lot of, uh, that was another underlying theme, I think, here. And then, of course, I mean, you had the, like, Peter Thiel's of the world. Uh, I don't know if you would call, what you would call that, but some entertaining keynotes. Own category. Uh, yeah, <laughs> throwing cash into the crowd and then you, this whole thing. But you so, also, you said, Kate, that there weren't, you didn't hear from as many Bitcoin maximalists, though, which I thought maybe, yeah. maybe you would because there has been such a division over the last year between those maxis and Web3 proponents, but... Um, it was it was more building on what Bitcoin can do. And yeah, and it was interesting. Like I, I find that 
conversation to be really nuanced in some ways. And I think after this week, I felt that way more so than I have in the past that maybe it's on, you know, Twitter that people are saying, or even just sort of assigning that because we don't hear from Jack Dorsey necessarily on his take, but I think people think of what Block is doing and what Jack Dorsey thinks is Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. But the people in his sort of camp that I was talking to when I was there um, did seem to be way more nuanced about it and not necessarily saying, you know, it's Bitcoin or bust and nothing else is going to work. But the idea that, hey, we're building something from scratch. This is this financial system that we've seen prove itself. It's been around the longest. It works the best. Here's what we think. And we're just going to build on that versus, you know, being having this division and this infighting. I actually found it to be more collaborative maybe than I would have thought. And not, I think there are some loud voices on Twitter that may be maximalist and say, you know. Like, I think that's the thing, right? Your your Twitter feed gives you the loudest voices. Exactly. Usually. When you get to go on the ground in a place like Miami during that kind of conference, what was it? 40,000 people? Kate, you're going to hear. That's what noise. I heard. And it felt like 40,000. We were outside the convention center, but every time I would go inside, I just was, I was like, yeah. this is overwhelming. So, uh, yeah, I think there are people that believe in both. I think when you really try to boil it down, there's people who are, seen value in Web3. There's also people who say there are a lot of um, solutions looking for a problem here in terms of Web3. I think there's a lot more people in that camp that would say, yeah, we're not sure that everything needs to be slapped on a blockchain and it has to be decentralized. One of the arguments is um, just the uh, consumer choice. Uh, yeah. Are consumers really going to, are they that fed up with Web2? You know, is the average consumer <laughs> railing against Web2? No, like yeah. most of us use this stuff and think, fine so it's interesting just like the practical use cases but i, I think they're we're gonna uh, need a, a longer live stream for web 2 versus web 3 kate oh yeah <laughs> i do want to ask you though like as we look ahead for the rest of the year what are some of the major catalysts i mean so much of the time that we spend on linear tv we're talking about recession risk and rising interest rates and inflation all these things were supposed to push up the value of bitcoin even though it's been less volatile than the NASDAQ, it still is kind of the forces that affect stock, uh, tech stocks are kind of at play with Bitcoin. Yeah. So, you know, what do we look for for the rest of this year? I think any sort of decoupling, any signs that Bitcoin is starting to trade like its own thing versus just an exaggerated version of tech stocks, uh, that would be something to look for. And there have been moments where uh, it, it might be an aberration where there's just one moment where inflation spikes and Bitcoin does well. And everyone's mm -hmm. like, yes, we, that's, this is the moment we've all <laughs> been waiting for. Yeah, exactly. And you talk to people, they're like, yes, this is it. And then a week later, it's not. And it ends up being, you know, so I think that's what a lot of people are focused on. The, the moment that Bitcoin decouples from tech stocks, if you see that this year, you might not. Uh, but the, the argument for long-term holders is that It'll happen eventually. It's just uh, a matter of it maturing, and who knows? We'll see. Right. We'll see. Keep an eye on it. As you'll hear from many, still right. very early exactly. Stages. And then I think um, you know the options market. What's going on there? Mm. And and new buyers. There's some. You know, we look at something called on-chain data, but the idea that you can look at how many new wallets are being opened. So that tends to follow. I'm trying to think of the last big catalyst. I mean, things like like Tesla buying in. Like that was really a big moment last year where you saw. Oh wow! People, it helped the sentiment around Bitcoin. So that's something yeah. that people also measure. There's something called the Bitcoin Fear and, and Greed Index. Um, when people are feeling more bullish about it, more excited about it, then they're more likely to get in and tell their friends to buy. And then um, one of the other things is uh, the cost basis for retail mm -hmm. investors. So it is around like forty-six thousand dollars. 
if Bitcoin's above that, people are generally feeling better about it because they might right. hold it, not want to sell it, but say, okay, at least I've made money on this versus if it's trading where it is now, there's a lot of people that bought in in the last six months or so and they're underwater. So that's something to watch. Um, so I go back to that exuberance, Kate, around the Super yeah. Bowl when it was all the crypto companies yes. uh, advertising and Bitcoin was what? It was it was well above 50,000 and that's when it really- Exactly. So that tumble. tends to be the trigger sometimes, like one of these big viral moments, yeah. whether it's you know a big company getting in or PayPal was another thing last year when they started allowing crypto trading that helped some of the momentum. Uh, so I think people are waiting for a big catalyst. They're waiting for sentiment to improve a little bit and they're going to need new buyers. And that might also not be the younger generation. Some have argued that it could be, you know, the boomers who uh, may not be as exposed to cryptocurrencies that it might be. They might generation. want to get in. Yeah. Kind yeah, of a further institutionalization. Almost. It, yeah. um, Kate, I know we, we spent all our time talking about Bitcoin. We got in some Luna. Um, we'll have to do it again. We'll talk. I, I'm seeing in the comments. We can't see the comments. Uh, some other coins that people want to know about. So we'll do it again, um, especially Perfect. as we see platforms add more and different cryptos, and especially as we see many more cryptos pop up. Kate, uh, thank you for joining. We'll talk I'm to you again sure. very soon. I love doing this. Thanks, Jean. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.